The subject of my sermon today is the empty tomb, understanding the evidence. Because God, you see, never expected you to take anything on blind faith. God, in fact, would give you evidence over and over and over again that Jesus Christ had risen from the grave that this would be the greatest day in the history of the world, that God would intersect this world and end death forever uh, and give you life eternal, that it's an extraordinary, extraordinary gift from the creator of the universe. And you know that when you read the scripture, you see that throughout the scripture, going back to even Abraham, God had indicated that on the third day, something extraordinary would take place. On the third day. Uh, and, it, and he did it over and over and over again. Uh, there's at least 15 different iterations in Scripture of something extraordinary happening on the third day. And so God was telling the Jewish people, be aware, be concerned, be ready. Something will happen on the third day. And in fact, something incredible did happen on the third day as God would raise Jesus from the grave. And so you see, the, the resurrection of Christ on Easter morning was the single most important event in the history of the world. All, it is the very seminal point for all of the prophecies in the Bible, because very simply this, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then you know what? Let's all go out and have pancakes. It's that simple. If he didn't rise from the dead, we're wasting our time. But the key thing is, he did. He rose from the dead. He defeated death forever. And you now have the guarantee that you will be with Christ and God and your family that preceded you in death. And so here's the point of understanding this as Christians. That Christianity is defined by the resurrection. It is what separates us from every other religion in the world. Buddha did not rise from the dead. Mohammed did not rise from the dead. Confucius did not rise from the dead. Only Jesus Christ, Lord himself, rose from the dead. And he did it before the eyes of hundreds of witnesses. Hundreds of witnesses, and we're going to speak about this. God does not expect you to take this resurrection in blind faith. And so if you're here today and you have not accepted Christ yet, I hope this message will touch your heart. I hope you'll come forward at the end of the sermon. We will have prayer teams up here. We'll pray for you because don't let another day go by. Don't let another day go by where you've not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so let's take a look at the words of Paul who speaks in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You'll see it on the board. And he writes this about two decades after Christ would have been resurrected from the dead. And so at that point, it was common knowledge between the church and their members and the exploding church community. Look what he says here. Now I make known to you, brothers, the gospel which I proclaim to you, which you have also received, in which you also stand, by which you are also being saved, if you hold fast to the message I proclaim to you, unless you believed to no purpose. For I passed on to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, 
according to the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he was raised up on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and that's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at once, the majority of whom remain alive until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as it were, to one born at the wrong time, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me has not been in vain. But I labored even more than all of them, and not I, but the grace of God with me. Therefore, whether I, whether I or those in the way we preached, and in this way you believed. Look at this. It's incredible. Uh, look at the fact. Uh, understand this, that when Jesus perished on the cross, Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate and asked for permission to take the body down. Otherwise, Jesus would have been buried in a common grave. And Pilate gave him permission. And this is important because the body of Jesus remained under the authority of Rome. Under the authority of Rome because Jesus died of a capital offense. And so they came. Joseph of Arimathea came along with Nicodemus. And they wrapped the body with about 100 pounds of expensive spice uh, in order to preserve the body. They then took that body and brought that body to a grave, to a tomb that was owned by Joseph of Arimathea, who was reputedly the wealthiest man in all of Israel, and it fulfilled the scripture which said Jesus would be buried in the tomb of a wealthy man. And that was written more than a thousand years before. Do you see how God is? How he would bring it all together and prove to you over and over and over what he was doing with Christ. And so here you go on Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning, the first people to come to the tomb before dawn on Sunday morning were the women, about three or four women led by Mary Magdalene. And, and at this point, they came to the tomb in order to anoint the body of Jesus. They didn't know what to expect. They fully expected that his body would be there because, you see, the disciples didn't understand that on the third day Jesus would rise from the dead. They didn't get it. Well, they would afterwards, but at that point they did. And so here they are coming in the dark, and the first question is, what an incredible faith we have that would bring the first message of hope to women. Do you understand? If you were making an argument at that period of time that you wanted to impress your audience, you wouldn't have women be the eye of people that would deliver the message because they couldn't testify in court. But that didn't matter to God because he had called women to have a preeminent role in the church. And so the women come out, and they're there, and they are ready to anoint the body. But the body is missing. The stone has been moved. And so at arriving at the tomb, the women were astonished to find that the stone was removed from the entrance. They had no idea who would move that stone. Uh, not one of them imagined that Jesus had been raised from the dead. When they finally looked into the tomb, they saw an angel. Uh, and and the, uh, when, while they were fearful, the angel told them not to fear. Uh, he said that he told them to go and tell the disciples that Jesus had been resurrected and go and tell them that message. Now you're wondering why aren't the disciples there with the women? Because they had fled 
in fear. They had left Jerusalem. They were fearful of their lives. And so God, it's amazing, the women with their courage come to do this and the men are gone. And so Mary Magdalene run and runs and goes to the, to the two chief disciples, Peter and John, presumably in John's house, where John took custody of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, and there, on hearing this story from Mary Magdalene, the two disciples start running for the tomb. Now, it's interesting because Peter is a lot older than John. John beat Peter to the tomb, all right? So John gets there first, outrunning Peter, and looks through the narrow opening of the tomb. And what he saw, he saw grave clothes. He didn't walk in. Then Peter, arriving out of breath, pushes John out of the way, just like Peter, right? Pushes him out of the way and walks into the tomb to see. And the Bible tells us that when Peter went into the tomb, he saw the strips of linen lying there that had been placed around the head of Jesus. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. At this point, John enters the tomb, saw what Peter had seen, and the scripture says, believed that Jesus was resurrected. Understand what's going on here. The body is wrapped with spices, 75 pounds of expensive spice to preserve the body of Christ. The head is wrapped in linen with a turban. And then there's a face cloth as well. And John saw it. And when he saw it, and I'm going to tell you later why he knew immediately Jesus was resurrected from the very evidence of those grave clothes. And so after the, appearance, <clears throat> after the appearance at the tomb of the angel, the Lord began to make himself appear. Jesus appeared first to Mary Magdalene, who arrived back at the tomb after John and Peter had returned to the city. Next, he appeared to the women, then to Peter alone, then to the Emmaus disciples. Finally, later that night, to all the disciples as they were gathered together in the upper room. But John believed first, and he did so before he actually ever saw Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that. He believed before he actually saw Jesus Christ. What made him believe? What made him believe? What did he see that convicted him that the world would never be the same and that Jesus Christ had defeated death? Well, the typical mode of burial in Palestine was that the bodies would be wrapped in, in linen in many ways, many rings of linen, and enclosed with dry spices and placed face up in the tomb, generally cut from the rock. When I visited Israel, I saw a tomb that they say may be the tomb of Jesus Christ, but they don't know for sure. And typically, the upper part of the head was covered by a cloth uh, that would look like a turban, twirled like a turban. Most likely, Jesus would have been buried in this fashion. Now, if we had been present at the tomb in the moment of the resurrection, we would have noticed that either the body of Jesus would have seemed either to disappear or else that it was changed into a resurrection body and passed through the grave clothes and out of the sealed tomb. I want you to understand what that means. It means that as the body is wrapped with all of these spices, as it's all wrapped and the head is wrapped as well, what took place there was as if Jesus' body was vaporized through the grave clothes 
and the grave clothes basically just sagged in place. You would still see the imprint, the, the facing of the head. You would see it in the way it was. Uh, because no grave robber would have done this. And here's the thing. Something new and incredibly different took place with the body of Jesus. And you know, all of you ask me to give you a new word every sermon. Here it is. Transmogrification. Use it today at lunch. Transmogrification. The body of Jesus Christ was transmogrified. That had never happened in the world, meaning the very molecules, the very flesh, were transformed and changed and vaporized from a body that was flesh, that's tied to this world, and became a resurrection body. Amen, church? You understand it? That's what took place there. Uh, and, and this is an extraordinary event, and an event that will someday take place with us, because these physical bodies don't go to heaven. All right? They don't go to heaven. These physical bodies that are littered with sin will not go to heaven, but a new body will. And so when this would have occurred, you understand, no grave robber would have done this. He knew immediately the body of Jesus wasn't stole by a grave robber. Nobody would leave those expensive spices in place. Nobody would take the time to let the very linens be there that had encased Jesus in the very form of his body. Can you imagine? Uh, and so... It's all left undisturbed. Uh, even the cloth around his head would have been undisturbed, showing its concave shape. That is why John believed. He knew it. Uh, and so John's scripture emphasizes the words lying there. Look, if you would, at the scripture on this passage. Look at John 20, verse 3. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth uh, that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside, he saw and believed. No one had moved or disturbed the grave clothes. They were lying exactly in the same place that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea had left them, uh, leaving them as we see it. The nature of the resurrection was clear. Jesus' body had been changed forever. Now, how foolish, really, how foolish are the ridiculous arguments that people have made, the cynical arguments about Easter Sunday. Uh, perhaps the most ridiculous is that the body of Jesus was stolen by the disciples. Absolutely absurd. Here they are fleeing for their lives. They don't even come. The women go to, to anoint the body. They are hung out hiding in fear. Uh, and so here's the reason. Why else would they have been fear? Well, because uh, the, the Jewish elite had gone to Pilate and demanded that he would put guards at the tomb. Guards at the tomb. And so theologians believe that there were at least 16 armed soldiers at the tomb. Now, why do I say that? Well, I say that because 
if you study scripture, when they came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, they came with 800 armed soldiers. Imagine, to arrest a man who carried no weapon, all right? Whose disciples did not carry a weapon other than Peter that day who lopped off the ear of the high priest. But there it was, 800 soldiers to arrest our Lord and Savior. They were fearful of Jesus. The last thing they would do was allow his body to be removed so that their faith would be undermined even more so and the Christian faith would be exalted. So you need to understand there were at least 16, and many people believe even more. Are we to believe that itinerant fishermen would go and overpower 16 armed guards? Uh, second, they had already proven that they were fearful uh, for their lives and had split. Third, they were in hiding. They were hiding out. Uh, they didn't want to be seen. They were afraid that they would, they would get a similar faith to our Lord and Savior. Uh, and so this becomes a critical point of our understanding. Fourth, uh, why would the disciples willingly die? which they all did for a lie that Jesus had risen from the dead. Let's understand something. Think about it. If it were a lie, Jesus did, you know, didn't really rise from the dead. But these 11 guys concocted this story. Every one of them would come to death. They would all be martyred. Who would be martyred over a lie? But, 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 for the truth, for the everlasting truth of God, yes, Yes, they would be martyred, and yes, they did. Uh, and so it's a powerful story. It's the very essence of our Christian faith. God has provided adequate evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If men fail to believe, it is because they will not believe, because they have settled their minds, and they would not believe. It's not that the evidence is lacking. The evidence is overwhelming. Paul gave you the evidence of over 500 eyewitnesses. Jesus walked around Jerusalem for 40 days. He walked around. He was readily seen. He ate with the disciples, uh, and, and he prayed with them, and his body would go through closed doors, all right? And we know that he would go from one place in Jerusalem and go out with the Emmaus disciples, traveling uh, seven miles again outside. Uh, Jesus was raised with a human body, but he was replaced with this spiritual body, this resurrected body. And now Jesus sits at the right hand of God. And you also someday will have that body and be with Christ. Because you know what God has done? Even as he's resurrected Jesus, the scars are still there in his hands. And so when you get to heaven, you'll be able to identify Jesus. You'll be able to see him because his resurrected body still has the scars that he died on the cross for you. And so this new body of Jesus and the transformation, the transmogrification of Christ points to a new mode of life for all believers, for all of us. This is the very first hope of Easter for all believers. Jesus is the first fruit and we are the harvest. We shall be like him. Our resurrection bodies will be better than our physical bodies. Look, church, here's the thing. Even if you get to live to be 100, and there's a good number of you in this church that are working your way towards that. <laughs> but even if you get to be 100, 
It's like a blink of the eye when you compare it to eternity. You understand? And so here we are all worked out about this measly hundred years, not recognizing that we will be with him for eternity. You'll be with your family, with Christ, with God the creator, because you accepted the free gift of salvation. God saw you. And he gave you salvation. He gave you the spirit of God. Uh, and so we don't want to be tied to this earth. We want to be tied to Jesus Christ. We want to recognize this is the call of our lives. This is what Easter morning is about. This is why you are here. You are celebrating the fact that God put God himself on the cross to die for you that someday you could spend eternity with him. How about that, church? Amen. And so here's the point. There was a wealth of sighting of Jesus for 40 days by many different people. As Paul indicated, 500 eyewitnesses saw it. The early church understood it and confirmed it quite well that this was the evidence. This went back right to the very first day of the resurrection. I don't want you to think that months went by and then they concocted this story. Oh, no. This story made its way out immediately. Everyone in Jerusalem understood what took place. And Peter, Peter, God bless Peter, uh, who was hiding out with everybody else. God bless him. But when he finally came to understand that Jesus was resurrected, seven weeks after Jesus was crucified, Peter, in front of thousands of people in the middle of Jerusalem, gets up and says this in Acts chapter 2. Verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Seven weeks after, in front of tens of thousands of eyewitnesses following Pentecost, in Acts 3, he says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. How about that? You think he got over his fear? You think he got over his fear? You, you killed him, but God raised them from the dead. We are all witnesses of the fact. And then he confirms to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 that Peter and others ate and drank with Jesus after he rose from the dead. Here's the good news for a lot of us. Jesus' resurrection body indicates that you'll be able to still enjoy a good meal. <laughs> all right? All right? That's how great Jesus is. You're not going to just be playing a harp, all right, and floating on a cloud you're going to be going to some pretty good feasts. Let's understand that. Not to be outdone, uh, Paul said in a speech recorded in Acts chapter 13, and for many days he, Jesus, was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. This is what an amazing event, seen by hundreds and hundreds of people beginning with the very clear evidence of the grave clothes themselves. Uh, the resurrection was undoubtedly the central proclamation of the early church from the very beginning. The earliest Christians did not just endorse Jesus' teaching. They endorsed the fact that he was resurrected from the dead, that he had come alive after the crucifixion. This is what changed their lives, and this is what changed their church, and this is why this became the very center of their faith and conviction. Uh, this, this was not concocted later. It happened immediately. 
and the evidence was overwhelming. As I said, seven weeks later, Peter is putting it into evidence. And so without question, you see, the amount of testimony and corroboration uh, of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances is staggering. Uh, to put it into perspective, and I want to put it into perspective for you, especially from, from my background as a trial lawyer, imagine if you were to call each one of the eyewitnesses uh, in a court of law to be cross-examined for 15 minutes each, and you went around the clock without any break. Well, if you did that, and you took each of the eyewitnesses and cross-examined them for 15 minutes, uh, you would start breakfast on Monday morning, and you would go around the clock until dinner on Friday to hear them all. After listening to 129 straight hours of eyewitness testimony, who could possibly walk away unconvinced? 129 straight hours of testimony. He's alive. He is risen. He is risen indeed. The evidence, you see, is overwhelming. Jesus did what he predicted and what the Bible proclaims. He rose again from the dead. He defeated death forever, and he has now given all of us the opportunity to defeat death ourselves. You're here in this church today, and if you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is your chance. This is your chance to accept the free gift, to say to God, I believe that you're my Lord and Savior. Lord, I recognize that I'm lost, that I need a Savior. I bow before your throne and accept this free gift. And if you do that and you say it, you are saved. It's that simple, all right? It's no theology, theology 101 or 201. That's what you need to be saved. That's how you will have life everlasting. That's how Easter morning will be your Easter morning every day of the year to know that he has guaranteed you that you will have life forever. And so make a decision and come forward at the end of the service when we have our prayer team up here. If you've never done this before, make it your decision to do it today. Really, make it your decision today. You see that God has given you all the evidence. He arose. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We know that God is alive, that Jesus walked out of that tomb. And you also, if you've accepted him, will never face death again. Amen, church? Amen. Let's bow. Father, I thank you so much for this great day, for Easter morning, for the great gift of our Lord and Savior on the cross for what you've given to us, this creation that you've made, and allowed us to share eternity with you. Father, I pray that our hearts are burning with the fact of the evidence of the resurrection, that we know, that we know, that we know that he is resurrected from the dead, that we have that confirmation in our hearts and now we have it on our lips, that we can leave this church and go out to a lost world and spread it to people who desperately need to hear it. Lord, we thank you for all you've done. We thank you for giving us this church. We thank you for allowing all these visitors to come and visit us. But now, Lord, touch their hearts. Let their hearts be touched with the truth forever. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen 
in deed. Amen, church.